You're listening to Campus Review Radio. This is Carl Treacher, and I'm joined by Martin Betts. We're the founders of HEDEX, and our podcast explores the changing landscape of the higher education sector in association with Campus Review. Welcome to the Higher Education Experience. So we're joined today on the Higher Education Experience by Barney Glover, the Vice-Chancellor and President of Western Sydney University into his second term and the former Vice-Chancellor of Charles Darwin University. And also somebody that was for, for a couple of years there in the middle of the 2015-2017 period, the President of Universities Australia. Welcome, welcome to this episode, Carl. Thanks, Martin. As always, fun to be here. I'm finding myself in uh, Victoria for this episode, which is um, you know, just opened the border and all sorts of fun things are happening and various universities are promoting various things. Um, but I was certainly interested to hear what Barney had to say, you know, being a, a New South Wales resident and watching the University of Western Sydney or Western Sydney University um, develop over the last decade. Yeah, well, it's um, it's been a very interesting university to watch, and Barney's an interesting guest for us to have, being such a, an experienced vice chancellor within the sector with a lot of wisdom, um, but also a context in Western Sydney, as you say, that um, that is quite different. And I'm sure we'll we'll have some pointers arising out of that. But while he was chairing University of Australia in 2015, 2017, he was also presiding over a time that's so different from now. I mean, we've been commenting on how 2020 was different. But 2015 was a very different time when major deregulation was being proposed for the sector. We we had a lot of views at it at the time. I wonder if our views might have been a bit different if we'd have known what we know now, if we'd have known then what we know now. Yeah, I, I don't look. I don't profess to know a lot about that. I'd be I'd be keen to um, understand that some more. Yeah, well, um, I mean, the talk at the time was of deregulating and allowing domestic student fees to be um, unbounded by universities, which has obviously significant impacts on business models and, and large impacts on, on equitable access to universities. And there was a, a lot of debate about it at the time, but um, the debate was in the context of business models that were very greatly being supported by international student revenue. And of course, times have changed quite fundamentally. So interesting to to be able to con- contrast those two different situations in a conversation with someone as, as significantly involved as Barney. But what, what's happening down in Victoria? You're seeing much happening on and the public exposure of universities down there while you're down there? You know, I'm going to sound a little bit like a, <clears throat> like a fan of Deakin University, only because I think they also do a very good job and always have, certainly in the last couple of decades. But, you know, you can't go on a, a major motorway or a uh, anywhere that has significant outdoor advertising without seeing their Be Ready campaign. I think they launched that a couple of years ago. Uh, and they're in a, I mean, it's almost crystal ball. It's a sort of campaign or statement from a brand identity perspective that you really want through a pandemic. And of course, they launched that um, in 2018 and they're, they're carrying that through. And it looks like they're sort of reinvesting uh, and and, re- and shifting that in terms of its its direction and meaning. But it's I'm sure it's serving them quite well. I mean, not just obviously from a brand image perspective, but they also have that you know that step ahead of the rest of the game in terms of digital um, readiness. Yeah, well, the, uh, the the Deakin campaign was obviously a very um, uh, important thing to be putting out into the market a couple of years ago, and to reflect that it's serving the current situation well. I guess there's a lesson there, isn't there? We're we're talking before we get to Barney about what it might have been like in the university world five years ago. Um, I think any any attempt at positioning needs to be responsive to current context, but really. If you're going to build a sustained position as a university, certainly from this point forward, 
Um, you need to be able to anticipate that there's going to be ebbs and flows in, in context and ebbs and flows in, in major events and really have a, a, a sort of position that the whole university can get behind and can sustain into the future. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be the situation that you'd see in other sectors, Carl? Well, not even in other sectors. I mean, the, 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 whilst you and I were working on repositioning the brand identity for Griffith University in terms of Remarkable, um, Western Sydney was doing the same with Unlimited. And both of those campaigns are real, or campaigns, I should say, um, repositioning efforts. Uh, and one was a rebrand, one was a repositioning effort. So what they did, they technically from a brand um, structure position, that we use brand relevance. And I know I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but both of them, because you are um, not shoehorning the organization into a particular genre, but you're using an expression, an emotional expression that's meaningful across not just the um, educational offering of the university, but emotive in terms of motivating emotive component for people to have an affinity with. So unlimited, you know, just opens the mind for a lot of lot of people, whether they be in Western Sydney or, or Greater Sydney, um, around what's possible for them. And much like Remarkable did, you know, it's how can you find your remarkable one life, you know, you be remarkable. It's those campaigns or that positioning and that type of positioning that does go a long way, be it in this category or outside, and it gives you that breadth of um, opportunity for whatever comes your way to remain relevant instead of sort of doubling down on your existing um, reputational strength. Yeah, well, I mean, what I'm hearing us describe there is the sort of, it's, it's almost like a conflict, isn't it, between being um, responsive to a current situation and therefore timely, but also... Um, enduring and sustaining by having something that can ride the, the, the rise and falls and the waves of, of change over time. And I think the issue of the importance of timing is something that we'll probably touch on a number of times in this particular episode, given the sort of experience that, that Barney's had. And um, look, uh, it'd be interesting to, to, to get his thoughts out there and then maybe we can have a response to them. Why don't we have a listen to Barney? Terrific. Let's do it. So I'm joined today on HEDEX by Professor Barney Glover. Barney's led uh, Western Sydney University as its vice chancellor for close on seven years now, having previously served a full term in leading Charles Darwin University. He was also chair of the Peabody Universities Australia between 2015 and 2017. Barney, welcome to HEDEX. Thanks, Martin. It's great to have a chance to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. And uh, I, can, I can remember one of the first times I saw you in your role, both at Western Sydney, but also in the peak body was was leading Universities Australia. I think it was during Christopher Pine's fee de- de- deregulation proposals. I think they were still being considered and, and we thought those were interesting times. But looking back at it now, they were perhaps some of the some of the best times we've had for Australian universities and the future might have been looking comparatively bright then. And in contrast, do, do you think these are uh, probably some of the toughest times we've ever ha- we've ever had? And for you to be a VC leading a major Australian university? Look, I think it is a it is a challenging time, Martin. There's no doubt about it, and that's for a range of reasons. I think we've navigated through the political uh, policy development side of things with uh, with Dan Tian this year, and that's now emerged with uh, the legislation through the Senate and, and we're moving through with implementation of that. So that, that's an encouraging sign in terms of stability, even if there are elements of the package which are you know, problematic at, at some level, and I'm on the public record about that. But you know, it's challenging for a couple of other reasons. I mean, COVID and pandemic 
has, has put the sector in the most difficult year I can ever remember in my 30 odd years in higher education. It is extraordinarily difficult year. Uh, not, not just for the vice chancellor. I mean, it's very difficult for all of our colleagues uh, to work through the imposition of, uh, of the uh, lockdown provisions early in the year, which meant we had to go online so rapidly. Staff have done an extraordinary job. Our academic and our professional staff right across the sector in responding to that. And I know as I look back on 2020 right now, I'm amazed at the extraordinary things that we've achieved uh, across the sector. And I know my staff, academic staff and professional staff, has done a remarkable job and I pay tribute to them uh, because it's not been easy and I appreciate the mental health issues and, and other challenges that this year has presented. So that's made it a tough year. So coming back to a more local level, Barney, uh, your own situation at Western Sydney University and the campus operations there, um, where are you up to in re-establishing those, getting a budget sorted and working through organisational changes for the university for 2021? Yeah, we're well advanced on all of those levels. Like most universities, we're in the process of implementing a recovery management plan that has us back on campus for autumn next year in a, in a fairly intensive way. Although, you know, I think we could talk a lot about uh, what's come out of this year and what we've learned about flexibility when it comes to the mode of delivery of higher education uh, for a campus-based university like Western Sydney. And we're intense, increasingly intensifying campus activity at the moment. So we're moving into summer, we'll see more activity on campus, uh, both for staff and for students. We have a, a triennial budget that we're putting up to our board of trustees next week, which is our best forecasting, because forecasting is becoming quite challenging for the sector, but you know, we've got to do that. Forecasting student load is, as you know, Martin, pretty crucial to getting our budgets uh, close to uh, reality. So that's a process we've been through very volatile times of working our way through that. That goes to the board next week. That They're comfortable with the way the university is going to manage uh, our way through the next two or three years, certainly be budget deficits for the next couple of years before we emerge as the international uh, student numbers increase. And yes, we have a number of change processes underway across the university at the moment to ensure that we're able to work within the budget envelope available to us and, and that's currently underway. I guess um, you're not unlike most of our other universities in going through those sorts of processes, but um, I, I don't know if what your views are on whether we're going back to the old normal or a new normal, but um, will the experience of our universities that we're able to provide and students gain from coming to us ever be the same again, do you think? No, I don't think we'll be the same again. Um, I think there'll be similarities that obviously we all want to see. We do want to see students back on campus and enjoying campus experiences. Our international students as one cohort um, are very much coming to this country to study a world-class, uh, to receive a world-class education in great institutions and the campus experience is a vital part of that, as is engagement with Australian students and Australian communities. So I think there are obviously going to be very significant similarities, but we've learned a great deal quickly about our ability to be very flexible in the way in we engage in the learning experiences uh, that uh, are crucial to our undergraduate, postgraduate programs. And from that perspective, I think we will see increasing amounts of flexibility. That could be hybrid uh, models of delivery becoming uh, um, 
more frequently engaged with and adapted and developed by our academic colleagues. So it's not all about an on-campus lecture at you know, 9.30 in the morning in, in, in one location. Um, it may very well be um, students coming in via technology, could be interactive in that sense, people in the classroom, various other ways in which we might engage. So there'll, there'll be those differences. And I also think that we've, we've learned a great deal about how we can get a lot of other activities we undertake, our seminar programs and workshops, which we're, we often have in an in-person in experience. And now we're finding they can be delivered remarkably efficiently with high levels of um, engagement using um, video conferencing technology like Zoom. And I think we'll see more of that. And, and we're also seeing increasingly people external to the university very keen to be part of those experiences which otherwise would have been very difficult in the, um, in the campus-based world. Ch that will also change, and that's a very positive change. Um, but the transition back next year is going to be, uh, be difficult. I, I, I know from my own visits to Western Sydney University that the sort of relationships and the engagement you have with, with partners and, and communities around your campuses have always been very important to you. I, I, uh, you. You're pointing there in that previous commentary about them being impacted. Do you see that there's any sort of redefinition of what the purpose of universities is with regard to partners and communities post-COVID? I don't think it's a repurposing, Martin, but I think it's a sharpening of the, the importance of university relationships with its communities and with its industry partners, its business partners, its government, its non-government sector partners. Because in my mind, universities are crucial to COVID recovery and uh, our relationships and our partnerships with communities will be enabling uh, of that recovery at a community level. And you see that in so many ways. We'll see a, uh, an increase, significant increase in number of young people in particular looking to higher education and vocational education and training because that's the nature, the counter-cyclical nature of economic downturn and and demand for higher education. And clearly, we're looking at the, a future, and the Jobs Ready Graduate Program echoes this, a future when we need to make sure our graduates have the skills needed to contribute to the recovery and to society in a world in which you know, some skills are going to be very highly valued and we need to be able to respond to that. So I think that there's a sharpening of the importance of those relationships and the, the richness of them that I think will be come to the fore because universities will be so critical to the economic recovery and also to the recovery from a, a social perspective and environmental perspective and in terms of health and wellbeing. Uh, and I know in Western Sydney, where we're dealing with some you know, significant challenges um, in communities that are suffering from this pandemic very deeply, we need to find ways to reach out to them and to enhance our relationship with them. And from that, hopefully contribute to a faster recovery. So a, a sharpening rather than the repurposing. I mean, some of the other words that are being bandied about at the moment sort of talking about disruption and transformation at a time of, of, of such change. And I mean, there's been many commentators that have, that have sometimes criticised universities as all trying to be alike each other and not sufficiently differentiating. Do you think we've actually got a burning platform for for the pivoting that people are describing leading to us having significant differentiations coming out of this year? I actually think there is significant differentiation in the sector. So I don't 
accept totally the, the suggestion that we're homogenous. I mean, I've had the privilege of working in a number of Australian universities. And you mentioned Charles Darwin, where I was VC. Charles Darwin is a great Australian university with a small dual sector located in the tropics, as well as in the desert regions of Australia, with a very close proximity to, to our Asian neighbours, particularly in, in Indonesia and Timor-Leste. It has a very particular mission and focus in the context of the Northern Territory and the need for graduates for that developing economy and the critical importance of things like uh, tropical infectious disease research or tropical environmental science or arid land science or for that matter, support for our indigenous communities in a whole raft of ways. That university has a mission and a direction that clearly differentiates itself from other universities with very different areas of focus. Now, I, I, I was at Curtin, very different context for Curtin, another great Australian university. Western Sydney, a very, very interesting university in its, in its community engagement context because it's mandated by our act of parliament. So that gives us a direction in that way. So don't accept that we're not differentiated. Yes, we've got lots of similarities. And, and to some extent, I think coming out of COVID and universities needing to reposition themselves for recovery. And you see that in some universities, there's a lot of deep change going on. And that reflection and change will mean a, um, a sharpening again of their course offerings, their research areas of, of focus and research themes. And I think that's a good thing to do in a time of crisis to make sure the focus is right and the direction is right. But I don't think that we're going to see massive disruption or transformation, at least not in this period, this next three to four years. What will be interesting is as we come out of this three year transition period with the Jobs Ready Graduates Program, and we then enter into the full implementation of it, it'll be very interesting to see how universities respond to that. And they've got a couple of years to work their way through that. And that may bring with it some interesting new models of collaboration, for example, and relationships between universities. Okay. And um, so, so an agenda that's unfolding beyond that, through, through some sharpening from the current crisis to, to thinking of what comes beyond. Do you, do you see radically different business models emerging in the near future for our universities? You've talked a bit about technology and, and the changing demand and the increasing hunger for university. Will, will we see business model changes of some of our universities, do you think? I do think we will. Um, but bear in mind, you know, while we're currently funded from the Commonwealth the way we are funded, it does define, if you like, a business model for universities in Australia, publicly funded universities, that, that to a certain extent um, constrains uh, innovation in the way in which we engage with undergraduate students in our programs. I think this experience this year, and from our perspective, we're certainly looking at new models of engaging internationally using technology with partners overseas. That might be something we've talked a little bit about in the sector in recent years, but haven't really implemented in a significant way because circumstances, if you like, that burning platform wasn't there. But now I think there are some interesting models of international engagement and uh, student uh, uh, um, connecting with our students that might involve our partners and technology in a way we hadn't imagined before. And that will change the funding mix and the dynamics of universities in a very interesting way. The undergraduate short courses that Minister Tian introduced, which have now got 50,000 places over the next few years, it will be very interesting next year to see how that's taken up 
how important that's going to be in terms of upskilling in key sectors of the economy as part of recovery and whether it becomes an embedded part of the AQF into the long term and what that's going to mean for universities in the way we focus. And that's an interesting conversation. And now we're also, from an industrial perspective, we're about to move into another round of um, uh, enterprise bargaining. And I know this experience has left us to reflect on our enterprise agreements and whether or not there is an appetite for some interesting developments in terms of uh, bargaining in the next round of bargaining. So yeah, I I think you'll see change. There's no doubt about it. And I know that uh, in my conversation with colleagues across the sector, all of us are thinking about that in the context of, well, how do we future-proof our institutions? Um, And I think the federal government is also, you look at the uh, higher education provider category changes and other things, looking at the way in which the sector should develop over time. There's some interesting threads emerging. There's a lot of commentary in other sectors, isn't there, about something as dramatic as what's happened this year, creating winners and losers, and perhaps who the winners and losers are aren't those that we might have expected before we had events like this. I mean, the the, the higher education rankings, if, uh, if we turn to those because they've become so prevalent, uh, have shown all Australian um, ships rising on the tide, if you want to put it that way, but a fair level of consistency and stability. Perhaps did, did you actually think that there's a that, that that we'll see different winners and losers coming out of this year and the opportunity of some of those that perhaps are less well served by historical rankings who are better served by the opportunities that are being created by this burning platform? We've certainly got differential impacts across the sector, as you know, Martin. Some universities are going to take longer to recover. And this is assuming that we don't see international student numbers rebuild next year at the moment, safe corridors, we might have one coming into the Northern Territory, but on scale, we're still looking, you know, into the early part of next year, for modest numbers of international students into the Eastern coast of Australia. So there is differential impact and recovering from that differential uh, effect on the sector is going to mean some universities will be quicker to recover and that does position them well in the context of being able to maintain Um, the breadth and the depth of research activity that impacts on rankings. That's important. We'll see some universities develop from that. I think if you look at Edith Cowan University in Western Australia, uh, Steve Chapman, the Vice-Chancellor there, announcements about their investment in research themes and, again, uh, research-intensive positions at ECU, that university seems to have come through COVID remarkably well and I think is well-positioned to improve its rankings significantly in the next few years, bearing in mind that the entire planet, every university has been impacted. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the data that feeds into the ranking systems is going to be managed in the context of, you know, how this uh, um, pandemic is going to impact. And, and as a final comment, we've done, Western Sydney University has done remarkably well in the Times High Red Impact Rank, which is a very different ranking system. I think it's nearly eight, 900 universities that are involved in that that's based on the UN Sustainable Development Goals uh, and we're ranked number three in the world and in, in uh, six or seven of the 17 SDGs we're ranked top 10 in the world. So for us that's an emerging area of focus and that's a ranking system naturally that we're gravitating towards and that is differentiating the sector. Uh, those universities that are very committed for example to sustainability will be I think seeing that as a a different ranking system. And that will emerge, I think, more powerfully 
in the future. So yes, I'm not sure they're winners and losers, but they're faster recovery and I think better positioning, yeah. And so um, just bringing it to a close then, then Barney, the, you, you, I, I imagine that you were partway through maybe a five-year strategy at Western Sydney coming into, coming into this year. And um, what, what are you doing in a, a, a chancery and an executive group at a university like Western Sydney to revisit that strategy in the light of everything that's happened this year? Is that a question of slowing down some of the things that you were doing, sort of tweaking it a little bit? Or, or do you largely have to start again? That's a very good question, Martin, because we're actually, this year is the last year of our six-year strategy. So this year, in fact, since probably September last year, we've been developing our new strategy for the 2021 to 2026 period. Uh, we've coming off a, a strategy we called Securing Success, 2015 to 2020, and the new strategy is Sustaining Success, 21 to 26. And we, we took that question you've raised on board this year because we, the work we'd done at the end of last year, we needed to go back to that in the, in the COVID context. And we chose as a university, actually, not just the senior executive, as a university, we chose to continue to develop the plan and not to take the easy way out and say, no, it's a pandemic, let's leave it, let's roll this current plan for another year or two. No, let's reflect on it, let's build it up uh, and I think we've got a very exciting new plan which goes to our Board of Trustees next week. And our major initiatives, because remember, Western Sydney University is involved in a, a massive campus regeneration program called Western Growth, which is changing the face of the cities of Western Sydney. And you know, we, uh, this year, decided to go ahead with that program, and that is new campus uh, development in Bankstown, our engineering innovation hub, joint venture with UNSW, will be finished next year in, in Parramatta. Our Westmead development uh, has moved through to the first phase of construction. And we opened our retail shopping centre, uh, 10,000 square metre community retail shopping centre last week. So, you know, our program of, of infrastructure development and, and revenue diversification is going on a pace. So I think from that perspective, yes, there's, uh, there's going to be a time of reflection and we need to, to take on board what's happened, but we equally need to be very confident about our future. You're sounding both confident and that you might be enjoying yourself there, Barney. I, I had both Andrew Norton and Jane Den Hollander on recent episodes say that this is not the time to be a vice chancellor in Australia. Are you enjoying what you're doing right now? Enjoying is, is not the right word because staff are under enormous pressure and they're tired and we're all tired coming out of 2020. Uh, am, am I confident about the future? Yes, I am. And Western Sydney, in my view, is undergoing a transformation. And that brings with it a great deal of excitement about the future. And that, I think, is what our... And, and excitement, not just because we're building a new airport and we're building massive multi-billion dollar transport connections, which change the face of the region, but because as a university, we can uh, meet our mission to change the lives of the people and the communities of Western Sydney, the uplift. And uh, people see that as vitally important post-pandemic, as it's always been, but even more so. Well, thanks for sharing your confidence with us on, on HeadX, Barney, and um, to hear your story of the sharpening of the work of Western Sydney in the years ahead. Really pleased that you could join us. Thanks very much. Thanks, Martin. Thanks very much. So that was um, Barney Glover 
there, Carl, uh, with some great experience over a number of different institutions, as we heard. But what did you make of some of his messages and what were your main takeouts about how he's seeing the current situation for Western Sydney universities specifically, but universities in Australia more broadly? He, he Look, he said the sorts of things that I would expect someone of his tenure and experience to say. So he had a, a sense of... Um, uh, you know, diplomacy and decorum and, and comfort and confidence around uh, recovery plan and giving, and that's from a leadership perspective, whether I'm working with leaders from banks or insurance firms or whatever it might be, or tech companies, you know, what's missing some of the time is is that executive presence, you know, to say, yes, this is happening. Um, we're, we're all in this together. I'm at the helm and I'm working with you to to get through it. So I liked his manner. I liked the way he did that. And look, and Pascal Cuesta was the same to some extent, but she had a, she has a real, you know, she's very dynamic in terms of her approach. Um, but I liked, uh, I liked what he said. You know, he sort of, he, he made statements around how important and critical and crucial the, the university is to the community, particularly in Western Sydney. And I think that's very true. You know, it's an enormous population that are really interested in in getting ahead. They're interested in education. Um, Western Sydney certainly delivered in the last five years. I think it was my birthday, 2015, they launched Unlimited and it was an enormous success. So I'm, I'm not surprised that he has a, a level of comfort and confidence. He has a very unique population that they're serving though, because it's it's not a you know, a Sydney Uni or a UTS where, uh, you know, they're in close proximity. They're in some instances quite head-to-head in terms of offering and, and recruitment. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's, compared to a lot of universities, he's got it good, but I think also he's doing, he's doing good. He's doing a good job. Yeah, I was um, quite taken with a couple of words he used in particular that, um, that resonated for me. He talked about sharpening as being the focus in what they're doing right now and have been doing for the second half of this year in Western Sydney. I mean, I, it, it made me think about a lot of different things, the word sharpening. It's, it's sort of the alternative to being blunt. And I think there's been a lot of work from a lot of universities that's had a very broad edge to it up until now mm. um, in terms of its focus on what people are trying to achieve. And it sort of brought up images of whittling away some of the excess that might be there in some of the university operations. I think that's what perhaps he had in mind. I don't know, I, I, sharpening. I, it's, sharpening some tools in the toolbox is really important in getting some jobs done. Mm. Others, there's other ways that we can we can work on them. So I was taken with sharpening, but I'm not sure it's the only strategic response that universities can be making at the moment. What, what did you make of, of that part of his interview? Oh, in any, in any sort of... Um... You know, we talk about category giants typically in Australian corporate environments, you know, big organisations that for one reason or another can become quite, you know, bureaucratic. Um, and there's always an opportunity, you know, large corporates talk about performance edge, and that's very similar to sharpening, which is not resting on your laurels and not, you know, getting complacent and finding, um, you know, more better efficiencies and doing things a bit leaner. And that that's certainly out of category what everyone has been doing well beyond the well before the pandemic and certainly through it is how can we be as effective as possible and i think he's starting to to suggest um that through his sharpening statements um, but of course there's a dark side to that or a shadow to that as well that often when you hear about performance edge or, or sharpening it's um it's a real heightened focus on um, productivity and delivery which can in some instances interfere with uh, culture and innovation 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many balls in the air at the moment, aren't there? And there's so many different um, drivers that Barney and Western Sydney, but all Australian universities with the different people we've been talking to on headaches are, are trying to, to grapple with. The, the other new dimension that I heard him describe was the big focus, and it's sort of obvious when you, you think about it, the big focus on flexibility, the, the idea that his and all of our universities might have learned how to adapt and be flexible this year to a much greater extent than they felt capable of. Mm, and no, so no. En ending 2020 with a known ability to be able to flex and change, I think is a really important capability to have been able to establish. I guess the important question that raises, well, how are we going to use that then in 2021? Some of the things Barney spoke yeah. about, he hinted at things like outside organisations and individuals are now more interested in uh, being part of the university, which is very helpful and very, very, um, very appropriate. I would like to delve into that. I'd like to delve into that because I know from a prospective student um, angle um, that they're interested to know who the university is associated with from industry particularly. Uh, and that's that's really heightened over this time. Not just about job readiness or or um, how employable they are, but how relevant the actual syllabus is. So I would love to know what he means by that a little bit more. And if it is about more flexibility and greater relationships, and that becoming more or easier to facilitate through a COVID environment because of technology, um, I'd love to know the specifics. And then I actually would like the the university to start talking about that to the community. Yeah, well, I think that, that external focus on the community has always been a huge driver for Western Sydney, and I can mm. see that being something to serve them well. I, I, I found it interesting that, that in talking about the advantages that have been gained in learning to be flexible, the idea, and, and look, we all seek this, don't we? We seek certainty and stability so much. And the idea that over the next three, maybe three to five years, that all of our universities might seek to return to some sort of new normal by seeking stability again, rather than anticipating we're going to have some continuing dynamism and to, to really take advantage of this flexibility they've all learned how to, to develop. I think there's a really interesting dynamic to play out there, right? Are, are the winners and losers going forward going to be those that are most on their toes or most on their heels with the flexibility that they've learned through 2020? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, the, the innate or the obvious direction there is to say, look, those that are are more flexible, will do better and all those sorts of things. And I think that's true, but we, we must remember that there is a pre-established conditioning around universities for so many demographics that the, if they start getting a whiff of sandstone being, you know, coming back into play um, or heritage or a societal divide between, um, you know, the uh, prestige of, of particular jobs, be it law and medicine versus education or whatever it might be, um, you know, we don't know yet. That's going to be really interesting to see how, how universities ad adapt to that. I think so. And that adaptation um, is one that I also heard him say, and us reflect in previous episodes as well, is how timing is so important. I mean, here we are coming to the, the last month of the year now. Um, and we've had a number of commentators, and I was really taken with how Barney mentioned that, the heroic efforts of our staff and how tired they are at the end of a year. Mm. Um, and yet there's so much that needs to be done coming out of this year and going into 2021 of being able to lift again and having the energy and the courage to move forward. So 
you know, no one could be making a big strategic move at the end of a year like this in December. But unless we can get the momentum right into the start of 2021, we might be left on our heels as, as, as the race starts between universities in that new year. He did also mention that he think he said, like most universities, we're well underway with our recovery plan. Um, now, now, we didn't speak specifically about what that looks like, but I'm, I'm with you, certainly out of category in big corporate Australia, everyone's getting ready now for an enormous 2021. Um, not just, certainly not from an ab- just from an advertising perspective, but we're always balancing value proposition or what are you promising customers in the community with what you can deliver and then the culture that needs to drive that. And I'm seeing more activity in that space than I've seen in years. I mean, it's been a, a bit of a graveyard in terms of that conversation. You know, I, I, I'm always pushing the alignment bucket between around that you know you can't be saying one thing and not and doing another or neglecting any any element of that particular triangle you know you get your promise you've got your experience that you deliver on the promise and the culture that drives it and typically big you know category giants as i mentioned earlier find a way to stay disconnected and work in silos that interrupts that well that's not happening i'm seeing some real efficiencies and real true collaboration despite it being in a virtual context to make sure that in 2021 there is a lot of new messaging we're going to see a hell of a lot of new promises and new value propositions and experiences being um uh, communicated in a variety of channels and also the way that they're doing it's changing and we're, we're sort of moving the whole, whole world's increased or amplified their use of social media so traditional media was going backwards a little bit and uh, some of the new opportunities that present themselves through new communication channels are getting real traction and just on that I know uh, it's a very long answer and I apologize particularly based on me giving you um, a hard time for your long answer last time uh, one of the things that Western Sydney did really well in 2016, I think it might have been 15, um, when they rebranded with Unlimited, is that they used influencers, you know, ahead of the curve, essentially, to help build the understanding and the expectation and build the audience through a very, you know, very at that stage, a real cutting-edge channel. Um, and it did so incredibly effectively. Yeah, I mean, what you're pointing to there, Carl, is the fact that these are di- these were always different times and new techniques and new channels and new media were being used anyway. And the world of universities, as we've reflected, as we reflected with Jan Owen last week, have been an acceleration of some of those trends in the way that young people and the future of work are, are, are playing out. It's, it's such a dynamic time, isn't it? I mean... The, 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 the other thing that then came through from, from Barney's conversation with me from our point of view was the other dimension of timing in that we reflected on this with Pascal a couple of weeks ago that we thought that she was going to be at a point of great disadvantage coming into a position as a vice-chancellor in lockdown um, and having to build a new strategy out of, out of chaos. And instead, we learned in our conversation with her that actually that was a point of huge advantage. Mm. His Barney has been has been five years or so at Western Sydney was was getting a new strategy started for the next his next term and the next phase, and was able to pause it just long enough to take advantage of the burning platform of a pandemic in 2020. But 39 universities, how many of them are out there part the way through a strategy implementation, and how many of them in those circumstances have had the opportunity? to have a major reset and a response. It really has been potluck, hasn't it? 
I think it is potluck. I'm really enjoying the response to uh, our offering around our you know, self-assessment diagnostic that universities can download from HEDEX um, without any obligation. You know, so it's, it's been, there's been quite a high uptake and uptick in that um, download, which for me indicates that universities are interested in taking stock. You know, at least they, they could well be on that path, but the fact that they're prepared to hold up a particular set of criteria around change, around how they're adapting and how they're managing their culture through this, it speaks to their openness and their interest and availability in terms of um, getting it right. And the timing has been a huge dimension to that. I mean, that particular health check that you and I have been developing our thinking on for over many years, mm. and we've had such an input from the, this sector and from other sectors in the development of it. Mm. I mean, it wouldn't have been right to, it, it wouldn't have had the same uptake and audience a year ago. We were, in introducing Barney, I was reflecting on the value that can come of him having had so much experience in the sector at so many different places and having led the Universities Australia group. And we've been contrasting that with Pascal as a brand new vice chancellor coming in without all of that experience, but without some of the constraints. I mean, I, I guess that reflects the, the way that we've been seeking to work together for the sector of your, your experience in the corporate world and, and my long standing experience in the higher education world. But mm. for us to bring that and fuse it in a brand new way and try and get some, some new thinking happening in a sector that needs some experience-based but innovative new thinking at this point in time is is why I think we're so excited to be working together and working with the sector. But that's probably all we've got time for today on um, HeadX, Carl. Pleasure, man.